1: in this episode of The Bell tale the 12th of July. Long associated with the Orange Order, marching bands and bonfires, the 12th goes back a long way.
0: Not even intermittent heavy rain dampened the enthusiasm of the marchers who followed a ten-mile route to the rally point outside Belfast. But what is
1: the origin of the celebrations and of the Orange Order itself? The celebration is, is of the... Battle of Boyne and all that went with that. And what that was was about the Williamite Revolution, uh, which secured uh, free and religious liberty for all. And does that organisation have a future? We have no interest in becoming part of an All-Ireland. Save your breath. I'm joined by historian Dr David Hume. But for those who have no idea, David, what is the history of the Orange Order?
0: The, the Orange Order, in the Orange Order goes back to, to William of Orange in that period. Um, a very pivotal period, really, in terms of the history of the British Isles, when you had uh, William contesting for the throne against his father-in-law, James II. Uh, and a lot of, of issues surrounding that really were, were largely religious issues in terms of how people look at it today, but there were other wider issues. There was, there was issues of governance, and uh, James would would have looked back to the idea of divine right of kings, which was becoming a bit outdated even at that time. Um, And he was sort of very autocratic, uh, whereas when we see uh, what happens in relation to William, um, it's a very different, the the evolution of sort of modern democratic practice comes about because Parliament offered the throne to William and Mary at this time. And it's, it's known, variously known as the Glorious Revolution, uh, particularly in English history, um, and the War of the Three Kingdoms uh, in recent to Scotland and Ireland, particularly where, where most of the battles took place. Um, so uh, really, in terms of Irish history, it's it's very significant because Protestants in Ireland were, were very strongly supportive of William at the time. and They would have seen him as the, the, the great deliverer, effectively, of, of uh, Protestantism in Ireland at, at the time when James... Uh, had had fled to france william had become king of uh, of england william and mary and um, james's lieutenant in ireland was uh, Richard Talbot, Lord Turconnell, and Turconnell had already started to replace Protestant officers in the army and, and magistrates who were Protestants and so on, and he said he would make uh, uh, Ireland a Roman Catholic province of France if James didn't win the throne back in London. So as far as Protestants were concerned, uh, you know, the writing was in the wall for them in Ireland, and William changed all that because he came across and, and defeated James effectively. So that that is the origin, uh, sort of part of history of the origin of it, and Part of it is, of course, that it is a, a revolution that happens within a family as well because William was was fighting against his father-in-law and he was married to James's daughter, Mary. So you can only imagine how that would have played out in terms of a family situation. The Orange
1: Order, as we understand it today, how did that evolve?
0: Well, that sort of evolved. I suppose that did evolve from that particular period in the, in the aftermath of the, the Williamite period. You had a number of organisations. You had one in Dublin called the Aldermen of Skinner's Alley, which uh, initially was comprised of aldermen who had been Protestants and had been removed from the, the corporation in Dublin. You had Boyne societies. and um, They would have commemorated the, the Williamite victories um, in the, the aftermath and the years and decades after. The Orange Order itself doesn't come about then until 1795. So there's a considerable gap between what happens in the Williamite period, and then the Orange Order. But this, the continuity and the thread of all of that is that uh, it has been commemorated in different ways by different strands of, of people, if you like. The Aldermen of Skinner's Alley were very much a social elite. Uh, the Boeing societies would have been much more grounded uh, in, in ordinary people, effectively, and uh, they had kept this uh, idea of William and, and the deliverance by William of Orange alive. I'd even taken it to America and so on with immigrants, uh, which is where the term hillbilly comes from, King Billy's men from the mountains or the hills and the Appalachians. Um, And it's a term for for music now, but that's how it originated. So the Orange Order is a sort of uh, manifestation of that tradition, if you like, that comes about in 1795, but it is the longer-lasting manifestation. It's really the the one, and someone we, of course, recognise today.
1: And in terms of the organisation which came about in 1795, is it recognisable as the Orange Order, as people would understand it today? Did it have the same structure? Did it have the same function?
0: I, th- I think it largely is recognisable in terms of the structures and the way it's organised and so on. That the, the first account of a 12th of July orange parade is in 1796, um, and it comes from Lord Gosford at Market Hill, and he sends a report uh, to Dublin Castle, to the authorities in Dublin Castle, to tell them about the... the um, the procession that he has witnessed, the demonstration he has witnessed, and the orange men have asked him, uh, can they go through his estate and so forth. So when he describes that parade, it's it's just very, very similar. It's companies of men, which today we would look on and see lodges with banners. He talks about banners. He talks about uh, fifes and drums at the head of them. And he talks about the idea that they have this the, the symbolic swordsmen at the front some of them and so on which you would still see in some lodges today so th- th- there's a real continuity to the appearance of it uh, back then in 1796 and how it appears today and there's also some very strong similarity in terms of the structure the structure has not really changed um since 1790s 1795 96. The Secretary of State, Mr William Whitelaw, watched the parade from a helicopter before returning to his headquarters to keep in touch with the security situation throughout the province.
1: Did it have a practical function or was it solely celebratory?
0: I think, um, I think it has a, had a number of functions over, over time. I think practically at the very beginning, Uh, It arose at uh, what was known as the Battle of the Diamond. So there was a conflict at the Diamond outside Loch Gaul. It was um, between a Catholic group called the Defenders and uh, Protestants from an area around Loch Gaul and then slightly wider afield from that. Um, So at the very start, it had a very uh, idea of defending Protestants, was was a very important practical part of what it was about. Um, As things evolved, it then developed, I suppose in the 19th century, a very strong, um, along with other, all other fraternities were the same. It evolved as a fraternal organisation that looked after its members in terms of social benefits, burial funds, insurances and things like that, uh, which was standard for all of these uh, fraternities, whether it was the Freemasons or the Ancient Order of Hibernians, they all followed a similar uh, pattern for their members then. And it it also was, was uh, of course, commemorative uh, in the context of the Boyne and uh, the events around the Boyne. And you mentioned
1: the 12th, uh, 1796 in Gosford. How long has the 12th as a day, as a celebration, as the marches, as the big day in Orangism, how long has that existed in its current form?
0: Well, I, I think that account from 1796 is... is very similar to how it exists today. Um, It went through uh, different periods. um, And at one stage in Irish history, when when you had the Party Processions Act, which banned uh, what we're seeing as as party, uh, as in sectional um, events, the Orange Order was was forbidden to to have its 12th of July uh, processions. And it also disbanded it at one time, twice it disbanded in the 19th century um, because the Grand Lodge, I felt that it was out with the law uh, under the Illegal Oaths Act. Um, and the, I suppose the, the, these top strata of the Orange Order were very much an elite. So they were uh, very concerned that the, the government would look on them as a sort of conspiracy. And there was this allegation at the time by, by radicals in Parliament, particularly, that the Orange Order was a sort of conservative conspiracy and that uh, the Duke of Cumberland, who was the Grand Master uh, had wanted to to oust or prevent Queen Victoria coming to the throne, and um, the Duke of York, uh, they were all part of this, this great conspiracy. And the, 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 the poetry, the verse, the grand old Duke of York, he had 10,000 men, goes back to that period, that there was this allegation that you know that the, the, this leadership were going to use the Orange Order to take over control, to have some sort of a coup. Uh, there was no truth in the conspiracy theory, but like all good conspiracy theories, it was extremely good and and uh, very well thought out um, so you had a you had a number of periods in the nineteenth century when uh, parades weren 't supposed to take place. Uh, the evidence would suggest that they did take place at the grassroots um, that that these processions still took place in localized areas uh right through that, but the grand Lodge certainly dissolved, uh, but most lodges then continued on so that the 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 I suppose the, the cultural continuity of it is as it was. Uh f- which for me is one of the fascinating things, that this is something that's going back uh you know to the latter 1790s and it's still uh surviving in a in very similar fashion uh to that period. I mean that's very interesting.
1: Well, it seems very interesting to me that it seems that the Orange Order was always in the news. so, so in terms of like what, what we have seen over the last 30 years on, on the 12th, the bands and the big marches.
0: It's been absolutely fantastic. We've been up in the east on Eatonards Road and then a walk walked down with the band. Brilliant day. Tired now.
1: That goes way, way back then.
0: The, the bands uh, would certainly go back into the, the 19th century, to the latter part of the 19th century. The original music, the lodges and the processions, were not very dissimilar to military processions in that the military used drums and fifes uh, to parade and to keep people in step and so on. So the, the Orange Order did that in the early years. And it was also a very uh, cost-effective way of providing music if you were going to have parades. So they would have done that. Then by the sort of middle to the, the latter part of the 19th century, uh, music develops a bit more and you begin to find bands, uh, particularly uh, flute bands would emerge onto the scene. Um, some lodges go further, some of them um, would have um, brass bands, for example, uh, and so on. And then in more modern times, of course, you would end up with the bands and pipe bands and so on, would be part of that whole mix. So uh, um, certainly from the latter part of the 19th century and into the 20th century is when you start to find a bigger variety of bands. Uh, appearing on the scene at the parades. And a lot of them, uh, certainly originally, are what are called lodge bands. They are associated with the lodge. They, the lodge sets them up, um, and they're, they're part of the lodge, effectively, in that sense. Uh, nowadays, that's not so much the case, particularly in Belfast. There are no lodge bands in Belfast, as far as I'm aware today. Um, and it it's, would still be the case in a lot of the country districts that the band is intimately connected, then, to the Orange Lodge.
1: And I suppose uh, intimately connected with the the twelfth, and therefore certainly in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, with the with the Orange Order is the is the eleventh night. Now, how long has the eleventh night, as 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 we know it today, been going on in terms of the bonfire? Now, obviously they're very big now, and obviously there's a whole culture around yeah. them.
0: And I've tried to research back into the bonfires. I can go back into the sort of the first few decades of the 19th century. There are certainly accounts of bonfires on the 11th night. Um, and they're, uh, they're used in very much the traditional manner of bonfires, which like signaled bonfires from one place to another. So there's accounts, you know, from uh, from uh, Armaa, for example, of bonfires being lit from hilltop to hilltop right into to uh, Fermanagh on the 11th night. So there certainly seems to be a tradition. The, pro- the problem about bonfires, bonfires are not, Organised by uh, the Orange Order, so they're not an overall structured organisation, and that means that it's very difficult to find any documentation about them. The eleventh night bonfires are somewhat subsumed in the much larger events then of the next day of the twelfth itself. But I think that the, the tradition of it goes back uh, as a tradition to Martin Williams' arrival, um, and then it has evolved then into the nineteenth century. Difficult to date exactly when, but certainly. We can imagine the 1820s and 1830s there are certainly accounts of bonfires.
1: And the 11th Night Bonfires, obviously they' they grow. they are growing and we've had very big ones in some areas, do you think? Yeah. Yes. In some ways did they did they physically have they physically started to overshadow the 12th, do you think?
0: I think it's an interesting phenomenon in recent years um and someone once said to me that when they were young um and they were gathering up in their own local community for the bonfire they were they were running around looking for scattered pieces of wood and uh tree branches and things like that and now people are gathering funds to buy pallets uh to build the bonfire so it's a very different situation and it is also um quite quite uh, i think it shows off a lot of skills that perhaps people don't realize that these people who are building the bonfires if they're building them right they're using good engineering techniques to do that Um, and i think that's one of the things that uh, really probably is not is not focused for or allowed very much in terms of bonfires Um, these are not ramshackle affairs these are quite well thought out and some of them are actually very intricate when you look at the designs they're now starting to to add, uh, to, there's one in, in um, County Armagh where they're building a, like a castle with turrets around it and so on. Um, so th- th- these are quite amazing things, but uh, now and very far different from the bonfires maybe of the 1960s or 70s and how they were uh, built and created. The other thing that's happening to is that they're perhaps less connected to the, the individual localities or communities. Uh, in Belfast it used to be particular streets would have had their own bonfire a lot of that has, has disappeared now and some of it for very practical reasons such that you don't want to have to tarmac the street every year after your bonfire of course but um, I, th- I think there's been an evolution certainly in terms of bonfires um, I'm not sure if they're overshadowing the 12th but they're certainly uh, coming up onto a par with it Do you think the Orange Order gets a fair press? I think sometimes the Orange Order gets a, a, a bad press which is not justified at the rally the leader of the Orange Order in Belfast the Reverend Martin Smith bitterly attacked Mr White law for talking to representatives of the IRA
1: And therefore our word to White law is simply this you told us you wouldn't speak to murderers how now can you expect us to trust you Now he needn't say he was not warned
0: I think sometimes the Orange Order could get a bad press when there is reason uh, for for that and i also think that it's perhaps quite misunderstood people either like the orange order or they don't like it it doesn't seem to be a halfway house and i think that um, there's an onus on the orange order too and it has been doing that in, in a number of years now to outreach to communities and try and explain itself and, and what it's about and i think that that's very very important because it's part of the cultural tapestry and so I think people should understand, try to understand it better. And I think it should try to be understood more. And uh, there's a combination of those two things. And also, I do think that sometimes we have a, a, a almost a class view of things, that the Orange Order is a very working class organisation. And it defined itself that a number of years ago, there was a survey and the majority of members said they were working class. Now, it didn't mean perhaps they were working class at that time, but they came from working class backgrounds. They were working class families. Um, and they still retain that sense of, of where they came from. And I, I think that that is, is something that perhaps in the past, uh, you know, there's been lots of comments over the, over the years about, about um, the Orange Order, which are quite derogative at times. But I think that some of them are class-based. People who are, who are um, working class have the right to to express themselves. Uh, Thomas Carnduff, the poet and the playwright, who was an independent Orange man, he said that the, you know the 12th of July was the one day of, all this massive colour within the Protestant working class community in Belfast. So I think there's a lot of things to be understood um, about the Orange Order. Uh, It's not the negative organisation that sometimes people would portray it as. Um, And there's an awful lot of people in it, very genuine people, uh, involved in many other things in their communities other than the Orange Order. It's part of a cultural heritage. It's part of a cultural strand and it is has, has long-lasting. It's, it's uh, as I say, it's part of the tapestry that we all have in, in this part of the world. Heavenly Father,
1: we give you thanks for this time that we have spent together. We praise you, Lord, for your glorious creation and for your love of us. We thank you that you have brought us here today to celebrate the 12th of July. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for all that you do for us. For that great grace that you offer us. That love that you bestow upon us. And so Lord, we remember today, Her Majesty the Queen and all our armed forces, particularly those serving in Afghanistan and their chaplains also. I suppose, but and you've very much um, emphasised the cultural part of it. Of other others, um, certainly, I know would emphasise the religious part of it. And and but many uh, speeches etc. On the twelfth are very political. So when you get the cultural, the political, and the religious, that's maybe a tough tough sell now. That complicates things.
0: I, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a curious mix of things. So it's. It's neither one thing or the other. It's a combination of all of these different things. And I remember there was a survey within the past maybe 15 years uh, had been carried out, and people were asked why they belonged to the Orange Order. And it was almost 50-50 in terms of religious background and belief and cultural background. So you have people who belong for different reasons. It's It's a large organization. It's still a large organization in modern times, and people belong for different reasons, a lot of them for family tradition. And also a lot of them, uh, because of their faith, it's a faith based organization and they see it as very significant. It's it's the the one organization that links all Protestant denominations. Um, The Catholic community is linked by the Catholic Church, one church, but Protestants have many different churches. So the Orange Order is one umbrella for all of that. So I think it's very significant in that context. And obviously culturally and from a point of view of heritage, it's significant, um, and it's not only about going back to William of Orange. If you look at the banners, you'll see things like you know the Battle of the Somme, the First World War, the Second World War. All those things uh, have a part within the community that's represented, and it, it's not um, it's not a perfect organisation, uh, but there aren't too many of those around. Uh, but it is a unique organisation.
1: I suppose, in terms of misunderstood, being misunderstood, no halfway house. I mean. As, a, as an historian, uh, now probably what we would now call Nationalist Ireland, Catholic Ireland, Gaelic Ireland was probably defeated uh, before 1690. Probably, you know, the last hope for that Ireland went with the Battle of Conceal. But obviously the 1690, whilst it was not exclusively about Ireland, it was a disaster for, for Catholic Ireland. So, you know, is it quite understandable that people, whilst they may say, well, it's great the Protestants celebrate their history, but for other people, this was yet another hammer blow.
0: Yeah, oh, I think you can understand um, all of that. Um, and my colleague and I, Tim Magara, usually have a bit of a debate over issues like that on on, on our radio series. And we have different perspectives about it all. But as, as, as was said in one of the, the programmes, you know, Gaelic Ireland is still around. Uh, so uh, there might have been political defeats there, but it is, it's, culturally, it has still survived. Um, and I think we, you know, in, in the modern world, we have a duty to try and understand the history that we've come from. Um, and we have a duty to try and respect everybody's uh, history and everybody's presence today, of course. Uh, but where we've come from is, is significant. Whenever I think of the Orange Order parades, I think that there's people there for lots of different reasons. It's, it's, it makes you feel good coming to see them. Smaller numbers than usual. Absolutely, there's about half the crowd, but I think everybody's in their own areas. You know, I've said to people that if somebody's there taking part in that because they hate Catholics, then they've come to the wrong show. They shouldn't be there, that's not what it's about. Uh, it's certainly about being pro-Protestant and that's very significant to it but it's it's also about uh, the history it's about service in the first world war about families that were involved about the second world war about service in, in general terms um it's about the respect for the the monarchy and the royal family that's all tied into all of this so uh, there's a lot of, of of um aspects to it um and i think that you know t- when i look at um and I've never been to see uh, a Hibernian parade, but I've looked at lots of photographs of them and found them very interesting. Um, and I when, I, when I look at, see the banners and see the parades, I think, well, there's not much difference here. Uh, one group is, is very Catholic in its outlook. Another group is very Protestant in its outlook. But they both are, are parading there with what are works of art that are moving around in banners. Uh, they're providing music within their communities and they're providing a focus within their communities. Um, so I think we have to try and see things in the context that we've all come from a certain place and we should understand where that is, but also it's where we're going to uh, that's significant and we should be going there together and respecting uh, our different cultures and identities as we go.
1: He was warned face to face that the sooner he starts talking in a way that the Ulster loyalists understand, and the sooner he presents them a grind of comfort, a crumb of confidence, the better. He tells us, I've given you my word. Can you not trust me? May I ask you, what answer do you give from Eden Derry today? Do you trust him? No! no! Has, has the influence of the Order waned, do you think, in, in, in recent years, I'm thinking?
0: I think, well, there's been a lot of commentary, you know, that says it has waned. I, I think that... Um, in terms of, of how it used to be, in terms of numbers ways, uh, the Orange Order today is not the Orange Order of, of the 1950s. Uh, but neither is any fraternal organization or any social organization. They've all suffered badly in terms of, of numbers. And it's been a phenomenon, not just here, but there's been research in Canada and elsewhere in the British Isles too. So uh, so the Orange Order is, is not as significant in that sense uh, as it would have been further back. Uh, so, the, and, and from the prin- positive principles of of moral positions, of of um, doing what's right, looking after your your community, and all of those things, getting involved in communities, all of that was still there. Whereas the halls may not have been there. So, I think the same thing really applies: that nobody can take anything for granted. We're in a very modern age now, where a lot of people don't want to belong to social organisations. So, that's that's something that we have to to uh, live with effectively, but also. I think whenever I look at the television coverage of the 12th of July parades and so on, I just see masses of people out watching them. So I think that they, certainly within the Protestant community, but a bit further afield than that too, I know in my own area, uh, people like to see the colour and the pageantry uh, that that is there. So they're they're still tied up in that. A lot of people may not want to belong to organisations anymore, but they still like to see uh, the 12th of July in this context um, and be part of it.
1: Dr. Dave Hume, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Gav Hennessy. The clips were from the BBC and AP. Planning for your next trip?